We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, a brand new week. It's Monday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything that's on your heart. All you need to do is call 210-340-9585 if you're outside the local San Antonio area. You can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And also, as I tell you every day, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. And you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a good day yesterday. We really did. It was really fun. Something you might enjoy. You listen to the uh, intro to this program every day. Uh, The song, The Word to Stand On. Um, Kevin Green, a dear, dear friend of mine who is the... Uh, who's the man who wrote that and who performed it and got it to us um, all those years ago for this program? Uh, we actually had him in our church yesterday. He uh, uh, we he did worship for us. We had a wonderful time. So if you're interested in what he sounds like, you can go to calvarysa.com and watch uh, the worships that he did. What a gifted musician he is, and just a good guy. We had a really, really, really good time. Uh, lots and lots of people in church yesterday, and I pray the Lord was glorified. Um, tonight, we do not have our Monday night Bible studies. This is the second week of our two-week break, just to sort of get schedules and stuff down. And then next Monday night, our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies will all resume, and we'll keep you apprised of that. Uh, I had one other thing to say. I know what it is. Today was our very first day of school, and uh, I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, the teachers were all beaming. Great first day. Uh, for me, it was nice to have noise around here again, uh, but uh, we'd love to know you're keeping our students uh, in prayer. We have more students this year than normally we have, and um, a bunch of new kids coming from other places, so it's always a good thing. So keep that in prayer. I would appreciate it. Okay, let's get to questions while we await your phone calls. First question is from our email inbox from Jose. I says, hi, Pastor Ron. I'm curious to know your thoughts. I have a Christian friend who used to sing R&B before he got saved. It has sexual innuendos. He still sings and plays that type of genre. Uh, he says he hears Christian songs at church but loves R&B. Uh, these songs don't honor God. I can't understand why anyone saved would want to hear. uh, I'm sorry. I couldn't understand why anyone saved wouldn't want to only play or hear Christian music after they're saved. Um, The Christians that I see listen to secular music don't often 
uh, reach their full godliness and sanctification. What are your thoughts? Uh, Jose, with all due respect, I think you're being like really, really, really super, super legalistic. Uh, I, I see a lot of Christian music that uh, is no more Christian uh, than secular music. Uh, you know, just because you put Jesus in the in the in the the lyrics or a Bible verse in the lyrics, doesn't mean it's a Christian song. And certainly, a lot of the people performing it uh, are not walking with God, or at least their walk with God is suspect as well. Now, uh, let me as, uh, approach this a couple of ways. First, I don't I don't understand blues music. Uh, I I honestly don't understand why any Christian could ever sing it. I don't understand why any Christian would have the blues. But other than that. Secular music is a gift from God to this world. Um, a, a song doesn't have to be about uh, Jesus in order to be a, a song that honors Jesus and the gifts he gives. You know, God has given good gifts. He's given us scientists. He's given us uh, statesmen. He's given us um, 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 brilliant people. Uh, who weren't saved at all, and we all benefit from them. And in this area of music, the idea that somebody has to stop enjoying music that that was created with the talent that God gave them uh, is is just over the top, legalistic, Jose. So I, I just don't think so. Now, I wouldn't want to sing songs with sexual innuendos, um, but um, you know you can't watch a TV commercial now without seeing sexual innuendos, and sometimes far worse. It's the world that we live in. We are in this world, but we're not of this world. Uh, I know Christian uh, uh, artists. In fact, we've got one here at our church who has a very, very strong ministry uh, reaching out to unbelievers, and they just happen to be uh, unbelievers who used to be her fans. Um, or still are her fans, but, but but it was from her music before she was saved. And God still keeps that platform open for her. And believe me, wherever she goes, it is all and only about Jesus. And, um, you know, uh, Joy of Jesus will have some music uh, that, that is, is uh, secular music. But, but remember, we're reaching out to people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I just think it's a little bit close-minded, Jose, and a little on the legalistic side to be able to say, well, well, if, unless you're, uh, I mean, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't listen to any secular music. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm a Beach Boy guy. I love the Beach Boys. There's nothing Christian about their music. It's just really good music. I love the music from the time I grew up. And And while I'm not a music person, Jose, and I don't listen to music, uh, hardly ever, uh, if I was to listen to music, I would have the Carpenters on, or I would have the Kinks on, or I would have the Beatles on, or or certainly, as I said, the Beach Boys or the Righteous Brothers. Uh, it's just good music. Uh, the Temptations, uh, th- that's that's the, the era I grew up in. Uh, and believe me, I'm saved, and I'm doing my best to reach the full potential. So uh, I, I just think you're you're misunderstanding a little bit about God's purpose. Classical music uh, certainly isn't Christian. And by the way, the old hymns, uh, they didn't start out to be Christian music. The lyrics were changed uh, to match a lot of the old bar or pub songs in England. And that's what God does. He takes that which was secular and turns it for his glory. And that's what they've been doing for a long, long time. So, Jose, I'm I'm sorry you feel that way. I ask you to prayerfully consider that maybe your perspective is just a little bit narrow. Thanks a lot. Let's go to Zeke on line one from San Antonio. Zeke, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hi, Zeke. Hey, uh, so I had a statement made towards me earlier today. It was that we are fully under Torah, and us mainstream Christians ignore this. Um. So I guess what I'm asking is, well, I know we're not fully under the law of Torah. And I was just wondering what your input would be on this. Yeah, Zeke, thank you for asking the question. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this all the time. Again, this is just another form of legalism. But but here's, here's and you were talking to a Messianic Christian um, uh, and somebody who's really saved, but they don't understand it. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the law. He established a new covenant. 
Now, that can't be any clearer than that. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. And and Paul explains that in doing that, he canceled the covenant that opposed us. You see, the whole idea of Torah, the whole idea of law, is that we can't keep it. Paul says in writing to the Galatians that the law is a schoolmaster leading us to Christ. In other words, we can't fulfill the law, so the law condemns us. And uh, because that's not God's goal, a new covenant was initiated, and we understand that as being the covenant of grace. So, uh, Zeke, uh, I've I've encountered these guys um, all the time during my 27 years here. Um, everybody has an agenda, but everybody who's sort of out of balance with those things, they, they really aren't students of the Word of God. They've found a systematic theology or they've found a Jewish perspective that sounds to them to be spiritual, uh, but really isn't spiritual at all. And that's exactly what's going on uh, in this particular case with the person that told you that we're under Torah. Um, you know, it sounds so spiritual to say, you know, since Jesus was a Jew, we have to understand Judaism or we have to be Jew- Jews before we can be good Christians. And I've heard that exact thing said to me repeatedly over the years, and it is a lie from the pit of hell. The new covenant completely replaces the old. Jesus fulfilled or completed the old. And that's why we don't have to do it. Sometimes the people will be uh, confused. They'll read Jesus' words and forget that his ministry was exclusively Jewish. He came to his own. His own received him not. He came in fulfillment of the promises to Israel. He did not come. His ministry at the time was not a ministry to Gentiles. And so, of course, there were Jewish references. Of course, there was an adherence to keeping the law. Jesus himself kept the law perfectly, thankfully. But um, the rest of it, Zeke, we have been set free from because that was a covenant that never could have satisfied the heart of God. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a good question from Nathan. Not that the others weren't good, but I love this this, uh, subject. He says, uh, please help me understand Lot's daughters. Why did Lot offer his virgin daughters to the men that wanted to sleep with the two um, unknown men? And by the way, those were destroying angels. Those two men were angels that appeared to be human. And then he says, how did Lot not know that he was sleeping with his daughters, even when he got drunk? Typically, when a guy is drunk or incoherent, they can't perform. Lastly, was it God's will for Lot's daughter to have sons, although this was considered incest? Thank you. Nathan, a couple of things. Um, the, the, the whole thing with Lot. Now, we've, we've got to remove ourselves from a 21st century Western mindset. Uh, it is impossible for us to understand the world that Lot lived in. Now, we, we know that Lot was a righteous man. We know that because Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told us that. Uh, we can't find anything that he did that was righteous. But we know that he was righteous. We know that he was compromised, so compromised that he couldn't save even his wife, wife or his sons-in-law. Um, uh, his, his, uh, that's what happens when we, who are parents, compromise our witness. Uh, but in that culture, Nathan, the um, um, hospitality was was among the the, the, the most important things uh, that a, that a, a person could demonstrate. Uh, you took care of people. You offered them your home. You you were offering them the protection of your home. You were offering them food, and and there were no limits. You know, somebody would come in; they could stay as long as they wanted because hospitality was that important. Now we also need to remember that in the world that Lot lived in, especially in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, he wasn't surrounded at all by righteousness. Um, Abraham, of course, had gone the other direction. But after years in in Sodom, um, uh, Lot's perspective was the perspective of the world. We would call him today a, a badly compromised Christian. But here's what he did. When he offered his home as protection in hospitality to those angels. Now, he didn't know they were destroying angels. They just appeared uh, in, in form as men. 
uh, he was offering them protection and his name, his family, his honor was at stake. And so whatever he had to do in order to protect them when those men wanted to sleep with them, um, uh, he offered his daughters. Now, we understand how perverse that is. We understand how uh, impossible that is. But that was the world that he came from. I'm sure there are things that we do that people uh, in the future will look back and say, I can't believe they would do that. What were they thinking? Well, here's one of those cases. Uh, Again, this certainly wasn't a righteous decision, um, but, but it was a decision that was commonplace in that day and age. Now, um, when you ask, how did Lot not know that he was sleeping with his daughters? Remember, they got him drunk, and the Bible says that he was unaware. So uh, we can take our experience and say, you know, when I'm drunk, I know what I'm doing, or when I'm drunk, I'm not able to perform, or those kind of things. Uh, Lot's daughters got him drunk, and the Bible, written by God, says he was unaware. We have to take that at face value, whether we understand it or not. Uh, maybe he couldn't hold his, his wine, whatever the reason. We know that he was not aware of what he was doing. We also know that because his life was compromised in Sodom, his daughters were not righteous either. And so this was a plan they had to get him drunk. And they got him drunk on two consecutive nights, and they slept with him, not the other way around. So even though there's no excuse for the life choices that he made, uh, this was a plan hatched by the daughters, uh, and he was innocent in the matter. So uh, he wasn't innocent for getting drunk. Bad things happen when you get drunk. I could go off on that, but I won't. Uh, But um, uh, he was unaware, and it's just that straightforward uh, because the Bible tells us that. So we've got to give him a break in this situation. Uh, and then, was it God's will for his daughter to have sons? Of course it wasn't His God's will. God, God certainly never would have wanted his daughters to sleep with their father and conceive that way. They were afraid, of course, uh, because all of the other people in Sodom and Gore were destroyed. They were afraid, oh, we're going to grow up and we're not going to have husbands and we're not going to have children, so this is our only chance. Uh, but that was not God's will. That's something that man did. Now, normally, Nathan, when I get asked this question, it comes from a perspective, well, well, if it happened, it must be God's will because nobody can withstand God's will. History, our Bible, demonstrates that the world is filled with situations that were not God's will. God doesn't intervene when we choose to sin And the fact that the result occurs does not mean that was God's will. So, no, it wasn't God's will for Lot's daughters to have sons. Um, um, It was considered incest. It was not something that God would ever condone. Uh, And yet, uh, it happened. We live in a time now, Nathan, where uh, fathers abuse their daughters sexually all the time. All the time. I never realized the extent of that kind of incest until I became a pastor. It is still amazing to me. My heart breaks and my head shakes um, because we see this all the time. But that's not God's will. That's the will of man in rebellion against God. And God simply doesn't intervene and keep it from happening. But it's not his plan. It's not his will. Not ever. So, Nathan, if you're coming from sort of a reform view that nobody can resist God's will... Um, you're misunderstanding. God doesn't cause things to happen. God knows what's going to happen. And yes, he knew they were going to have sons by their father. He knew the problem that those kids would create. But they made the choice to do it. And they had to deal with the consequences of that choice. Good question, Nathan. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Nathan, if you're interested, I've got some studies that I think are pretty complete. Uh, I I like them on on that whole section in Genesis dealing with Lot and his daughters. So think about that. That's at calvarysa.com. Here is a question from Kathy from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I wish to thank you, Mama Paula, and all the CCSA pastors and their wives, as well as many of your church family. 
You've been such a blessing. I've listened to almost every sermon and Bible study over the past seven years. My goodness. Uh, Kathy, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Then she says, she continues, sad to say that in the beginning of my walk with Jesus, I listened to a few false teachers, which you as well as others have confirmed my understanding of such things. I have enjoyed through the years listening now and then to Tony Evans, uh, Vody Bauckham, John MacArthur, Greg Laurie, but more recently, Alan Jackson, um, Big Trouble Coming, in quotes. I guess that's a new book that he's got coming out. Uh, his recent series on the book of Revelation. I was wondering your thoughts because I trust, respect, and appreciate your opinion. God bless sincerely. Kathy from Pennsylvania. Kathy, you got to make a trip to San Antonio so we can hug you. God bless you, Kathy. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, a couple of things. Um, all of the people that you listen to, I listen to. Now, there's some warning signs with a couple of them. Um, uh, I admire Tony Evans um, greatly. Uh, he is a gifted, gifted communicator. Uh, he's also um, uh, an informed Bible student and a gifted Bible teacher. Um, he doesn't do anything the way I would do it, but he does it so much better than I can do it. And 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 while I don't agree with everything that he does or says, uh, I, I've been blessed personally by Tony Evans, and I listen to him uh, if I'm in the car when his radio program's on, that kind of thing. So uh, I have no, no problem with Tony Evans. As, as you know, I'm sure by now Tony lost his wife uh, last year, uh, at the beginning of last year, and I watched him sort of deal with his grief, and he's and he's done it in a in a godly way, a victorious way. His his heart is filled with grief and pain. Uh, he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to pretend everything's okay. Uh, but he has done so heroically. So um, yes, I listen to Tony Evans, uh, Vadi Bakum. Uh, and John MacArthur. Let me lump these two together very quickly because they're both Reformed. They're both Calvinists. And I believe Calvinism is very dangerous. Uh, I call it a killer of all fruit Christian. Uh, I've seen so many people get trapped into a Calvinistic uh, systematic theology and all of the joy and all of the wonder um, goes out of their ministry. Having said that, uh, if you're listening to, to either uh, Vody Bauckham or John MacArthur about anything except election, uh, I think they're great. Uh, I would love, I don't know him, but I would love um, Vody Bauckham. Uh, he's fun. He's funny. He's interesting. He's direct. He's sincere. Um, he, he has joy. Um, John MacArthur is the same way. I don't see much joy coming from John MacArthur as he's aged, uh, but uh, um, I have been blessed by both of them and their teachings in the past, and uh, I think if you are a discerning Christian, uh, Kathy, and I'm sure that you are, um, you just can spit out the, the reform stuff, the Calvinistic stuff, but, but uh, they are both brothers in the Lord. They are both, um, what can I say, they're, 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 Many, many, many rewards await them in heaven. John MacArthur, now for 50 years, has been the senior pastor at Grace Church in Southern California. And um, and and I think he's great. Uh, Greg Laurie, as you may know, is a Calvary Chapel guy. He also now, he's an evangelist, so he also aligns himself with the uh, Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, but I know Greg well. I've known him for 27 years. He's from my part of the, the Southern California. And uh, Greg is a, a gifted Bible teacher. I think he's got the gift of simplicity, which uh, I mean as a, as a high compliment. He can take uh, difficult um, situations and, and make them um, easily understood. Uh, and, and certainly he is a gifted, gifted evangelist and by all accounts a good guy. So um, I know him personally. Uh, Alan Jackson is interesting for me. Uh, Alan Jackson, I, I like him. I enjoy listening to him. Uh, the problem is that uh, I don't hear him teaching the Bible hardly at all. I hear him talking about things in the headlines. I hear him talking about um, reclaiming the world for Christ, um, um, adopting a, a biblical worldview. Uh, he is very heavily invested in 
politics. Uh, I actually heard uh, a promotion for this book, Big Trouble Coming. Uh, I actually heard uh, his book uh, promoted as as a way to look at the headlines through the filter of the Bible. And I don't think we're supposed to be looking at the headlines through the filter of the Bible. I think we're supposed to be looking at the Bible. And I just don't hear Alan Jackson, Alan Jackson teaching the Bible. Uh, I don't disagree with almost anything that he said that I've heard. Um, I think he comes to the right conclusions. But I just think his church is basically getting ripped off because he's telling them all these principles and all these these conclusions, but he's not teaching the Bible and dealing with their need to learn how to apply those conclusions. I think his, his focus is on the wrong kingdom, and uh, um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of those pastors who are as political as he is. Again, having said that, Kathy, I like him. And, and I, uh, boy, he's gifted and an excellent communicator. Seems like a really nice man and a humble man as well. So I wouldn't have problems listening with any of those people. Kathy, thank you. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the show today. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh come back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR here is an anonymous question from our email inbox uh, the question says, I had it and lost it. Okay, got it again. Um, when Jonah didn't respond to God, do you think he died and was resurrected like Jesus? I tried to look for Jesus in all the Old Testament books, and this is where I think I found Jesus. Good for you. Many pastors preach that Jonah died for three days. Thanks. A couple of things. I, the, the only way, the only way we can understand the Old Testament is to look for Jesus. That's the only value it has for us. I always think of the Old Testament as sort of a, and I'm going to go back to my childhood, which probably means most of you won't understand, but we used to have uh, the connect the dots coloring books, and you connect the dots and it would be, be an outline, and then you take colors and fill it in. Well, the Old Testament is like the connect the dots. It's an outline. It, it just gives you a picture of the things that are filled in in the New Testament. And when you really understand the Old Testament, it, it, it increases your appreciation for the New Testament, for the, for the, for the veracity of the Word of God. Uh, it just, it, 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 you just sit in awe of the Word as it was preserved for us. So uh, looking for Jesus on every page of the Old Testament, believe me, if you are reading Leviticus, you need to look for Jesus or you'll never make it through. Same kind of thing. Now, regarding Jonah, uh, I know that there are people who preach that Jonah died and was resurrected. The problem with that is that that's not what the book says. Uh, he he seems in the in the the belly of the fish to be conscious. Uh, he's talking to God. Um, uh, remember Jonah? You said he didn't respond to God. Um, Jonah was was a bit whiny. He didn't want to be going where he was going. Uh, even even when he arrived in Nineveh, uh, he he didn't want uh, to proclaim the message. He didn't want the people God wanted to be saved to be saved. So so Jonah had some issues, but to believe that he died is to impose on the text. We call that eisegesis rather than exegesis, because it doesn't say that. And I don't believe there's even a hint. Now, I will say this. The, the, one of the fiercest proponents of Jonah actually being dead is J. Vernon McGee. I think he knows better now because he's with Jesus. But, but J. Vernon McGee is like a billion times smarter than I am. He was an absolutely brilliant man. Now, I will admit he didn't sound brilliant. But he was a brilliant man. 
and and he he actually translated um, his own translations of the Old and the New Testament in Hebrew and in Greek. Uh, and and when he taught, when he, he was doing it from from the original languages, uh, he's a brilliant man. Um, but but I just think this is one of those places where he's wrong. Um, there's no justification. You can say he's a type of Jesus. Jesus said just as Jonah was in the in, in the in the the earth, the, the belly of the earth for three days, so will the Son of Man, uh, or in the belly of the fish rather for three days, so will the Son of Man be buried uh, for three days. And then rise again, uh, and so you can make the connection typing. But but Jesus did die and didn't stay dead. We know that, but there's no warrant at all for for believing that Jonah uh, actually died in the in the whale or in the fish. So um, I, I just think that's a, a a big stretch in order to make a typology that we don't really have to make because Jesus didn't go that far. Jesus didn't say as Jonah died and was in the the fish for three days and three nights, so too will the Son of Man. Uh, He didn't say that. So uh, I I just don't buy this anonymous, and uh, I don't think there's any warrant. It certainly doesn't add anything at all to Jonah's story, nor does it add anything at all to our understanding of the reference that Jesus made to Jonah in the New Testament. Thanks for the question. Here's a question from Juan from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, why did Jacob receive the blessing from Isaac and from God after lying to his father? It seemed like Esau got the short end of the stick. Thank you. Let me say first that Esau didn't get the short end of anything. Esau got what he deserved. We read about Esau and we think, well, well, why was he taken advantage of? Why did um, um, Jacob uh, con him out of his his birthright? Uh, you remember that the birthright was established in the beginning, before they were born, before the sons had done anything good or bad. God said the older will serve the younger. So the birthright was given by God. Now, remember that everything God does, he does according to his foreknowledge. So he knew what was going to happen. It's interesting to me that that um, uh, Jacob's mother um, uh, w- was working behind the scenes to try to manipulate um, Isaac. I'm sorry, Jacob, into getting the birthright. Uh, uh, Isaac was working behind the scenes to try to give the blessing of the birthright to Esau because of their own uh, 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 predilections. Um, and, and they didn't have to do that because they knew. God had already told them that the older will serve the younger. So um, it's not like God blessed them. God just reported the facts before they happened, before the kids were born. God just reported the facts because God knows everything. And nothing was going to change that. And then we, we, we feel bad for Esau. But I want you to think about this one. Why, did, why does the Bible say... Um, um, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. It's not that God could hate Esau. He didn't. God blessed Esau. But he couldn't love him the way he was able to love Jacob because Jacob would answer the call of God and Esau never would. Now, here's the evidence. It's overwhelming. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. For temporal hunger, for for just just because he couldn't look in the future, couldn't think about the future. Um, I'm hungry. I want to. I want to satisfy my stomach. Paul writes, "Food for the stomach, and the stomach for food." Well, that's exactly. He didn't care about his birthright. He didn't care. Had he cared, he wouldn't have sold it. Now we know that after the fact, he was remorseful, and he sought another blessing with many tears. We're told, but the result was was. This is the consequence of the choice we make. So Esau got better than he deserved. He had nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with God. And that's why he sold his birthright. You know, we have a lot of people that make decisions to leave God out of stuff. But when we do that, we're we're remorseful later because it didn't work out the way we thought it should or the way we wanted it to. And the problem, of course, is it's too late. 
the consequences, we're stuck with the consequences. And this is why Jacob was chosen rather than Esau. It wasn't because one was bitter. If you look at the, the lives of both kids, for most of Jacob's life, he was every bit as evil, as wicked as Esau was. But you see, he at least wanted the birthright. Esau didn't care. Until it was gone, he didn't care. Remember, Esau also went out and married two women just to irritate his family. These are just things that's what we humans do. So please understand, one, that Esau never got the short end of the stick, that he was blessed at all, and he was obviously blessed um, by God. He was very successful in the world that, that he lived in. Um, but but it was Jacob who would be one of the patriarchs and not Esau. So Esau was blessed in this life. That's all the blessing he's going to get. He has been for thousands of years in torment uh, since that time. Thank you, Juan, for the question. Here is a question from William. He says, do we have a God-given right to bear arms? Um, no, we have a legal right in this country to bear arms. Now, I, I want to say this every time I get asked this question. I don't want to be stereotyped as a typical conservative gun-toting Christian. I'm not a gun person. Not in the least. Um, but we have been given the right in this country by our founding fathers uh, to, to bear arms. Is it a God-given right? No, it's a people-given right. But it's still a right nonetheless. It is the law of the land, and what we're supposed to do is honor the law of the land. And William, one of the rights that we have uh, is a God-given right. Now, here's the, the issue that we've got to deal with. We've got to issue with the fact that a lot of those rights that we are guaranteed in our Constitution are slowly being taken away from us. And this battle over guns is going to be one of the big, big battles that will never cease. you got one side that wants to take all the guns away. you got another side that wants everybody to have more guns than they would ever need. And, and it just seems like lost in the, 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 the extremes is that which makes sense. But yeah, we, we have a right, not God-given right. We have a right to keep and bear arms. Now, here's one of the problems with Christians especially those Christians who are right-wing or conservative. Um, we want to believe that that everything we do is God-given right because we're Americans. Um, there's nothing special about being an American. Now, I love my country. I'm a patriot. Uh, I'm a conservative man. Um, but as Christians, we've got to be better students, better representatives of the Word of God. And to, to, to think for a moment that the rights that we have been given, just because the Constitution says uh, they're inalienable rights, uh, doesn't mean that they were from God. You can't demonstrate that. Now, the Founding Fathers, some of them anyway, maybe believed that the rights were given by God. Um, but remember, they were rebelling against God and against the revealed will of God. They were Bibles back when our country was born. Um, so you just, you have to understand, our kingdom, this is not our kingdom. Our job is to win people to Christ. If I had a gun and I had to give up a gun to win somebody to Christ, that would be an easy trade for me to make. On the other hand, people that do have guns and love them, they have every right to do it, and I will never say anything bad about them at all. Uh, I think it is horrible what's happening in our country with rights being stripped away. And I'm talking about real rights, not the right to kill children. That was never a right that we have. But, but the right to free speech, that's no longer a reality in our country. Um, so I, I guess that answers your question, William. Thank you very much. Anonymous says, I've been listening recently to your Sunday message messages about being genuine and sincere. 
I'm far away from the Lord right now and need help in getting back with Jesus. Anonymous, I'm glad you've been listening to the messages. You know, Jesus, um, in Mark chapter 12, where we just finished Mark chapter 12 yesterday in our uh, verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the Gospel of Mark, um, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He only has a couple of days to live. And I warned our church that this is going to be intense, and it needs to be intense as we get closer and closer to Jesus sacrificing his life for, for, for you and for me. It needs to be intense. And there's going to be a lot of repetition. And and one of the things that Jesus is is pounding on is this idea of not being a hypocrite or a, a play actor. I've been talking about, you know, we Christians come with our church face uh, to church. Uh, somebody say, how are you doing? Your life could be falling apart. But oh, I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. God is good. God is good all the time. And And Jesus says, I hate that. I hate that. So here's what I'm going to tell you. God hates that you're far away from the Lord right now. And you don't need help in getting back with Jesus. All you need to do is repent of your sins. Whatever has drawn you far away from the Lord is sin. And that you would identify as a Christian when you are willfully far away from God. That's the kind of hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about. Now, Anonymous, I'm not suggesting, I don't know you, you didn't even give me a name. I'm not suggesting you're not really saved. The fact that you know you're far away from the Lord and you want help in getting back with Jesus would seem to me to indicate that you are. But there's no mystery here. There, there's no miracle that you need. You need to repent. You need to tell Jesus you're sorry for breaking his heart. You're sorry for being a liar, for being a hypocrite. And then you simply need to say, Lord... I'm going to serve you. And this is a change, Anonymous. This is your own question. This is a change that can happen instantly. You're going to have to battle your flesh. You're going to have to battle. You've got an, an enemy, a stronghold in your life. He's not going to let you go easily. But you've got to remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And there's no answer for this. You know, you say, I'm far away from the Lord right now. How long have you been far away from the Lord? How much longer are you going to be far away from the Lord? See, to be honest, to be genuine and sincere, those are the questions you have to deal with. And you've got to come to the conclusion, there's nobody to blame except you for the condition of your life right now. So repent. Go back and do the things you did at the beginning when you were not far away from Jesus. Get back in the Word. Rekindle that prayer love relationship with Jesus and spend time with him instead of the time in the world with the things that are causing you to be far away from the Lord. So anonymous, easy choice, easy solution, um, at least an easy solution to identify, maybe not so easy to put it into practice because you now have given the enemy an opportunity to destroy you. Don't let him do it. That's the power that's available to you right now. 340-9585. We've still had a little bit of time so calls could get through. Uh, here's a question from Lester. He said, is someone who teaches false doctrine a false teacher slash heretic, or are they just mistaken? How can we know? Um, Lester, really only God knows. I've known uh, false teachers uh, who I believe love Jesus with all of my heart, and they just were deceived. Uh, I, 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 this one man that, that is just as nice a man as you can ever imagine, and I know he loves the Lord, and he's just bought hook, line, and sinker into the prosperity, faith, and health and wealth doctrine stuff. And when I talk to him about it, it's just, he, he just can't hear. He just won't hear. Um, I think he's going to go to heaven. I think there's going to be a lot of people in heaven who had really, really bad doctrine. God knows our hearts, and God is just. We don't. On the other hand, Lester, there are, I am certain, a lot of false teachers who know they're doing it. They're doing it to take advantage of the people. Yesterday in the Bible study in Mark, Jesus, speaking about the religious leaders, said they devour widows' homes. Uh, We've still got those people. 
And I think they are hard-hearted heretics, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, very expensive sheep's clothing. Uh, and, and I don't think they'll be in heaven. Uh, I think they'll be the ones that Jesus uh, described when he said, Why do you call me Lord and do not do what I tell you to do? And then he said, many will say to me on that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? I think there will be a lot of false teachers. We know I had thousands of people in the church and, and you blessed me. I had all this money and all these wealth and it proved that you were with me. And Jesus will say, depart from me for I never knew you. So Lester, it would terrify me to be anywhere close to that line. And yet we know people that are, I mean, I, I've known very public, very famous, professing Christian pastors, preachers, uh, who I don't think will be in heaven. And and that's just a, a horrible thought. So how can you know? It's easy you can know. Not whether they're going to heaven or not. Uh, you don't have to judge their heart. But you can know what's true and what's false simply by being a student of your Bible. God has given his people discernment. He's given us all the rules that we need, all of the, 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 the guidelines that we need. All we have to do is seek out the answers. And believe me, when you do that, the very first thing you'll be able to spot is a false teacher. Thank you for that question, Lester. Patrice says, Pastor Ron, is Pokemon a sin? My kids love it. Uh, Patrice, I am going to confess my ignorance about Pokemon uh, I really don't know anything at all about it. Uh, having said that, I will say that Pokemon keeps popping up on the websites, um, Tumblr, uh, TikTok. Uh, and I'm not a social media person, so I don't really know these sites, but I'm just the research I've done. Uh, and especially young girls are being influenced by Pokemon uh, to to um, um, want to transition in their gender identity. Um, I, I, I'm guessing that uh, uh, very boyish girls uh, are are uh, elevated in Pokemon, um, but but beyond that, that's all I know. And uh, Pokemon does seem to be a consistent among teenage girls who are declaring that they want to be men or transitioning to be men, uh, at least uh, in terms of hormone therapy and things like that. So beyond that, I don't know uh, if you have a question. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit uh, who is uh, pricking your heart, Patrice. Um, but but find somebody who knows, somebody with discernment, uh, and be careful. I know that the things that are just games aren't always just games. So I hope that helps. Well, now we're inside five minutes. Yoli says, is penal substitution and the doctrine of hell necessary to be a Christian? Um, Yoli, um, I've asked this question. I, I know people that have uh, Orthodox Christians, um, um, most notably. Um, they reject the, the, the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement altogether. Uh, they reject it altogether. I, I can't get past believing that it is an essential of the historic Christian faith. Uh, if Jesus died and he wasn't punished for your sins and mine, then uh, why did he die? And, and, and how is a just God going to punish sins as a just God must? And I think the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement, rejecting it, makes uh, some people feel more comfortable. Oh, God's not angry. God's not, God is angry at sin, Yoli. And so uh, I, I believe it is absolutely necessary uh, doctrinally in order to be a Christian. Um, the doctrine of hell, uh, to reject hell, and, and this is huge. You talk about the devil being the prince of the air. The Internet, you can find all kinds of people with all kinds of lies uh, about um, the doctrine they call universalism, and there's all kinds of different facets of it, but but God is a God of love, and I just can't imagine God sending somebody to hell. And and so we've determined hell's not real, and they'll come up with these gymnastics um, hermeneutically to get to that point so they feel better about it. But the reality is Jesus spoke about hell. 
um, a lot. Jesus was very firm when he talked about eternal torment. These are things, Jolie, that in order to be a fruitful Christian, at least, at the very least, you've got to believe in the things that Jesus taught. So, yes, he died for our sins. The price of uh, our iniquities, the punishment for our iniquities was placed upon him. He who became, or he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God demands justice and punishment. So these are things, Yoli, that are essential to understand the gift of of uh, the cross for you and for me. If penal substitutionary atonement isn't necessary, then why did Jesus die? If hell isn't real, then what value is there? in following Jesus. I mean, these things are true. They're evi- uh, the, the evidence uh, from the pages of our scripture is overwhelming. Um, and just to make yourself feel better emotionally or to try to reconform God into your image or an image that's acceptable to you is no different than what the Jewish religious leaders were trying to do to Jesus. They were trying to make him who they wanted him to be. Guys, we can't change Jesus. So yes, I believe penal substitutionary atonement is an essential for our faith. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Good questions. This has been The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. He loves you. I want you to remember that. Hey, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.